I wish that somebody would have told me not to put Dawn dishwashing soap in the dishwasher. On this episode of the Dr. Medic Podcast, I've got Zach Reeves in the studio. Zach is an ECMO nurse with a unique perspective on the flight nursing world as well as flying with survival flight. Let's get to it. So what's up, buddy? It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Um, so we're, we're obviously here in the studio with Zach today, and um, uh, Zach's got a unique perspective, or you got a, a, a unique perspective on a lot of things that I think some people would probably want to listen to and uh, probably see your beautiful, pretty pretty face at the... At, face at, for radio. At, That's yeah. what I've been told. Face, face, face for radio, for sure. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, the... the, the uh, what do, what have you been doing lately? What have you been doing lately in EMS? Yeah, so you're, I know you do about four hundred different <laughs> different things. Yeah, the uh, looking at different resumes can sometimes be a blessing or a curse whenever you have so many different things on it. But I, I agree. I think I have a pretty unique perspective. Longtime paramedic. My primary role though isn't like nine one one emergency medicine mm. anymore. I work in the hospital in a critical care environment, mostly around ECMO. Um, but what I'm able to do now is ECMO retrieval. So it's a lot of critical care transport yeah. um, and not all just 911 calls anymore. So so ECMO is, I've, I've been reading a lot about that. What what What's the, the 30 second spiel on on ECMO and why it's so such a great thing. Yeah, so ECMO, ECMO, it's extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. I know it's a mouthful, but you can kind of summarize it as outside the body lung oxygenation, mm. right? Uh, it takes the workload off of the heart and lungs, kind of like a portable bypass. And in the Western world, or specifically kind of the United States, uh, adult ECMO has really increased in prominence over about like the last 10 years. Yeah, and so what do you, what do, you do with that? Well, um, you know, ECMO is a, a pretty intensive therapy, uh, has primarily been reserved for in a hospital provided by like a cardiothoracic surgeon. But what we're finding with, with the service I, I work with and um, what we've been doing specifically from COVID uh, is retrieval, right? Which is kind of a, a, a new yeah. thing for us out here where um, a small team made up of myself and maybe a critical care physician or a cardiothoracic surgeon will go out to the referring facility for a patient that is too unstable to transport Mm. otherwise. Like another hospital? Another hospital. Like a rural hospital? Yeah. Yeah, For where we're at here, it's another hospital. um, Place the patient on ECMO, a lot of times at the bedside, sometimes in the OR cath lab. And then it's a pretty pretty intense Mm. transport back. How do you get get there? A variety of means. I kind of have the luxury of um, different options depending on length outside of the hospital. Sometimes it's ground ambulance, sometimes mm. it's rotor wing, and sometimes it's fixed wing. So you don't work for a flight service. I do not. You work for a hospital. Correct. But they they contract out with flight service to yes. to do your 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 actual transport and and do they have a med crew? They have a med crew of their own on the helicopter. Yeah. So, uh, you know, different hospitals will have contracts. Ours is a little bit more fluid. I don't know that we necessarily have, um, a contract that we have to go with, with one specific yeah. agency. So that can also be a blessing and a curse because our specialty team will transport with their med crew. Um, and if you know them, you've had the yeah. chance to train with them and things usually go smoother, but yeah. it's not always the case. Sometimes it's just us. Sometimes it's one of us and we have to really rely on the flight paramedics and flight nurses to assist us. That work for the, the for, actual for flight service. Yeah. What kind of helicopter are you flying on now? Uh, 145, H145. That's, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a pretty cool. Yep. I think that's probably the only one that's, that's here in the state. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it's a beautiful brand new aircraft and. The, the crews that yeah. work on that aircraft have been really hungry to learn more about ECMO and have trained a lot with us. We've flown on lots of different platforms, yeah. though, too. And that's, a, that's an air methods company, like, like it is out of, out of Denver. And so that's, that's, uh, God, dude, that's, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's pretty that's awesome. That's so awesome. I mean, it, and, and it's, it's awesome from my perspective because in the Midwest, there's so many, so many helicopters in the state of Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and Arkansas and, and, and Texas. Uh, but we don't really have mountains 
So there's not um, as many of the bigger aircraft and there's not really a lot of hospital based systems yeah, like right. there used to be. Right. So there's just, there's just so many helicopters and hardly any of them are, are twin engine and of the ones that were twin engine, they didn't have like the rear load, like a 145 does. So that's, dude, that's, that's super cool. Did it, and so how long has that been going on? Um, we've been flying with the 145 for about a year now yeah. and we've done a fair amount of transports. Yeah. Um, actually just, um, co-authored, uh, a study that, um, was a specific type of ECMO hmm. in the aircraft in that H145. I didn't know you were published. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did participate in the study and so got the co-author mention, which is a pretty, Dude, uh, that's pretty awesome. Cool. So who, who, the program's been around for like four years. Who were you guys flying with before? I already know who you were flying with before. Yeah, so we, uh, Survival Flight had an aircraft based at our hospital with uh, uh, S-76. Right, It was right. a big enough airframe that we could accommodate our crew and weight and equipment. Right, right. So that, that, that S-76, you obviously saw, you probably saw that in the, in the Survival Flight video that, that we published last week. That's the same aircraft? Yeah. Yeah, what did you think of that video? I, I mean, I thought the video was uh, was very informative. Um, you know, we were, uh, of course, aware of everything that had happened in Ohio. And um, I'll say that for my base, um, we had a, a great working relationship. Um, the people above me kind of made some decisions after um, the Ohio right, crash right. and the NTSB thing uh, to kind of part ways at that point. So the, 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 the feedback from that video is, is just kind of, kind of blown my mind over the last week. It's only been out for, you know, as, as of this recording, uh, for this podcast, probably five, five or six days. And I've received hundreds and hundreds of uh, either phone calls or emails or, or comments or messages or, uh, private messages. Uh, and then in, including the interviews and stuff. And, it, and it's just, you, you, you find that that culture was so scary. And it's not just the, that, that that's what happened in that particular crash in Ohio. It's just that, that that culture, it seemed so scary to so many people. But then you talk to some people at different bases and they say they didn't experience any of that. Yeah, it, it, and, and it's wild. And I think, you know, kind of, you know, I'll get chewed up by the, uh, you know, kind of elitist helicopter EMS crews. That I don't work full time for a f for a flight service. Mm. So um, there's a lot that we don't understand that goes into to those things. Um, like I said before, I, th I think that our working relationship with the crews and everything at the Oklahoma City base was 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 really good. Mm. It was above all of that that kind of the decisions had been right. Made. So why, why do you, why do you think it was so regional? Just, I mean, not, not just the Oklahoma city base, but why do you think, why, why would there, the, the story be so hardcore on the, the, the terrible culture that existed there and, and maybe still exists today. I'm, I'm really not hundred percent sure, but why do you think it was so bad in, in Ohio and then I've heard similar stories in, in some of the bases in Missouri and some of the bases in Arkansas and down in Alabama. But then uh, I've, I've seen other bases in, in the same areas in Missouri and Arkansas based on the interviews that I've done where people say, well, I never experienced any of that. I didn't. Why do you think it was so different from from base to base? Well, I, I, I don't know that. It I don't know that that could be specific to survival flight. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that there could be safety concerns at the, the most prestigious uh, flight service at a specific base. Right, um, right. What I think that maybe survival flight is could be a little bit different is it's a smaller service, it's a newer service, and so there's maybe less oversight from a body, mm. right? If, if, one, if it's left to kind of one person to make decisions, then the, you know, the wins and the losses will fall on that person's shoulder. Right. And, and then... If, if that one person isn't open to listening to ideas or critiques sure. from the people below him, then. What do you, what do you think? So, so, you know, they, 
Survival Flight wasn't Kames accredited when you were flying with them. Yeah, that's I right. think they're working on it now. But the service that you work with now is Kames accredited. What, what kind of differences is, is it? Is it like does Kames save everything? Is is it just make everything perfect, or or what do you what do you think? No, I mean I, it probably doesn't. But yeah, do I mean, and I, I'm sure that it does from a level that I don't see because mm. I don't work directly with, you know, I'm not on that flight company. I will say that um, the reporting structure seems, uh, seems, you know, seems easier. Yeah. Um, what, do you mean, what do you mean by reporting? Um, maybe that like our concerns are addressed more rapidly or in a more uniform manner. It's almost like they have a structure to how yeah. things are done. Um, so you feel like if you felt something was unsafe, you'd have a way to report that anonymously yep. you know that that was something that was unique with with that story at the beginning was originally they had a like just an anonymous email address is what uh, was in the report and what uh, some of the med crew would tell me that if they had a, a problem everybody had an e access to this like a username and a password to the same email address and it was like anonymous at survivalflight.com or something like that um and I don't think that was really working out because you could obviously still try to figure out where that came from. But I did do some interviews and found that um, they have a some type of new high tech reporting system now um, that that does ensure the anonymity. Um, but then I heard from another report that the the safety committee who reviews those uh, safety concerns are all people who are financially invested in the company, you know, and so. That's, um, I don't know if that's a conflict. Is that a conflict? Seems like there should be uh, a couple people who represent different stakeholders in that, yeah. right? And maybe maybe some somebody who's independent or something like that. But certainly a barrier between. Yeah, but those. I mean, it is progress, right? I mean, if they're if if they didn't really have a reporting culture and now they have this new technology to be able to do it, I mean, that's. I'm, I got to I got to think that that's a good thing. But what you said about the other companies is is really true. And so, you know, people might think, well, well why? And, and I've heard some reports on this or, or comments or feedback is, is, well, it's not just this company. I mean, there's other companies that are, that have terrible issues. Well, yeah, there are. I mean, you can see my, some of my other episodes where certainly well, look at this terrible thing that happened at this place. Um but I think we a lot of times we, we build off of our past, right? I mean, uh, people say all these things about like Arivac and Arivac had all these problems back in the late 80s and 90s and maybe even early 2000s. But, um, you know, their employees seem to say that a lot of a lot of that, if not most of it's gone, that they have this great reporting culture and they all feel very, very safe. And they've got like 7,000 helicopters, right? And so if they had like this massive safety thing, they'd probably – be having a lot more incidents than they're than they're yeah, having and now. So I think that my my argument to kind of some of that is I, I don't just because somebody else also does something bad or has a tragic outcome doesn't negate the right. fact that you also had a tragic outcome. You know, robbing Peter to pay Paul doesn't it, you right. Know, yeah, there there was a couple of people that. who said stuff along the lines of, well, what about these other agencies? Well, they've had crashes too. Or man, I had one guy even say we've only killed three people. That's literally what he told me. Yeah. He said, well, we've only, here at survival flight, we've only killed three people and, uh, uh, air methods or this other company has, has killed way more. Well, I don't know if that's the right way to look at it because it's still the cause that we're trying to, 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 to find so that we can fix that probable cause and yeah, kind of like move forward. No, nobody. Yeah. Wouldn't you be shooting right. for like zero in, in, no, Wouldn't and, that be better? and I, you know, and, and like I said, I've got a, you know, a really unique perspective. And so the video that I got or, or you know, or watching that, that video, um, I mean, I watched a few videos of, of yours with multiple different companies. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I also don't work for any of those companies, but I didn't take it to heart or take it personal. Like, you know, this isn't like a, a survival flight bashing or air methods bashing or whatever. Like I look at how to improve patient outcomes, crew outcomes across the board. Yeah. I don't care what sticker was on the side of the Well, you don't you don't have you don't have a um 
a dog a dog in this fight because you you don't you don't work for them and um but you you you're knowledgeable about it you watched the video you read the report what do you think they need to do to fix it well I, i'm <laughs> i think that um i think there's certainly a um a pattern mm. of maybe the inability for employees to to be able to express safety concerns um I don't know what the answer is. Uh, one of the things that I, I will kind of say that I, I don't know if it's frightening or what is, but you know, when we request a flight with anybody, we're at the mercy and the discretion of that company to make safe decisions, right? Mm. Um, and so retrospectively looking back, you know, I, I don't feel that I was ever put in any unsafe, you know, weather conditions or, or, or anything like that. But I don't know anything about the cruise fatigue, the pilot's fatigue, the weather to where we're going, how we're going to get back, all of those things that we right, are expecting right. them to take into account. Um, and I just hope that they did their due diligence each and every time and, and didn't gamble. Right. With, I, I wonder with if, if a lot of that comes from from not being Kames accredited because the, 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 um, the big theme that I picked up on from, you know, from all of the data and the evidence is that the, the management and the executives, I don't know if that's the right word, but at least the operational management at survival flight feels that the paramedic and the nurse are not a part of the crew. And if they're not a part of the crew, then sharing any of that information with them is, is kind of is kind of pointless. I mean, the 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 um, the one guy who I quoted saying that, you know, he doesn't like Kames because he believes it's an air methods run company, and then says that you know the re the problem that he has with Kames is that they want to give somebody like a nurse the ability to make flight decisions based on weather or something like that when they're not trained to do so. And compares that to a pilot, you know, turning around and making a decision on how 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 the nurse or the paramedic might be might be intubating. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't make any sense because, sure. you know, if the paramedic screws up that intubation or screws up a, a medical treatment, it, it may be a bad thing, but it's not going to kill everybody on the aircraft or cause the aircraft to go down. And there's there's been like some play on words because the FAA does not say that. A, a, a paramedic and the nurse are officially a part of the the working crew of the aircraft because if they did they they'd be restricted to some type of federal duty times and 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 stuff like that but what they do say what the FAA does say is they recognize the three to go and one to say no policy they they recognize that and they say that that's a good thing and they encourage helicopter EMS operators to um, utilize that and and they specifically say the three being the the pilot in command the nurse and the paramedic and the one being any of the three so the FAA clearly says that um, they recognize that the paramedic and the nurse or whether it's respiratory therapist or physician whoever the crew is it's on there um, should have that 51% ability to say i don't feel safe i don't think this is appropriate we need to not take this flight. And based on what I read at Survival Flight, their management doesn't believe in that. They don't agree with that. They 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 said it in quotes. He said that their, their director of operations said that he has a problem with a nurse making a decision like that. And um, so that now that I know that they're up for CAMES accreditation or they're trying to do that, um, I, I, how has that changed? If it's the same people that are in charge and um, they didn't embrace it a couple years ago, did something change? And if it did change, I mean, I'm all for it. I, I, I certainly am all for it. Um, but I, how can somebody change their their viewpoint like that if that's really how you feel? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do you feel on the aircraft that you're flying on, do you feel like if you or one of the physicians, one of the other nurses says, look, man, this weather's no good. I want to turn around and go home. Do you think they turn around and go home? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's kind of where it comes up to, you know, the pilot may, can make the decision regarding the weather, but I want to have 
the ability to express a concern. Right. And then maybe they educate me and say, no, this is why I think that we're okay. Sure, and then, and then sure. we can make, I can make an educated decision based off of that. But if it's, um, even if they were to change a policy is kind of what you were saying that, okay, no, here we embrace the three to go, one to say no. You have a voice in this decision. And they say that. And now the person that just said they didn't believe that has to enforce it. Well, you know that they don't believe it. So that's probably right. going to right. impact some people's decisions to speak up and say it. Because sure. they're going to say, well, I don't want to upset him or them or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and and, and uh, I've had people say this about, about the crew that – you know, because I was very hardcore that they are a part of the crew. And it's not that there's some law that says they're a part of the crew. It's it's a crew resource management. Well, you're best, a team. Be, yeah, right? best practices thing that that while while the, the pilot is certainly the pilot in charge and everything lies with that pilot in terms of the responsibility of of taking the flight and overall safety and weather and 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 uh, the the route that they're going to take and all of that, of course, that the pilot is in charge, but giving the the rest of the crew the ability to say that they are not comfortable with this flight, uh, that that pilot should then, being the one in charge, make the decision to abort the flight. Now, one thing I did want to clarify in a video because someone did point this out to me, uh, and I agree with them 100. Um, percent you know, I emphasize, you know, the pilot would turn around and say, and say, okay, we're going back to base, no questions asked. And, and I, it's probably just a play on words, but the, the, the person who said this to me was a hundred percent right, that there should be questions asked. And what I meant was, um, there shouldn't be any retaliatory, you know, fall, gotcha. fall, yeah. fall back from that. But by all means, when you get back to base and debrief, okay, you weren't comfortable with that flight. I totally, um, not a problem. Tell me what your concerns were. Let's go through it. And that's where that education piece would come well, we in. We should be debriefing right? on everything, on all of them, right? Whether it's we turned around halfway right. or we didn't go or we went there, came back and had a great sure. flight sure. and nothing changed. You know, I think that the the debriefing and the culture around the debrief is so important. Right. And we do those on yeah. on all of our calls, whether we go, don't go, even internally at my department, if we decide not to go to even put a patient on mm -hmm. ECMO, right. we're going to debrief why we made that decision. Yeah. And and so it, it's sure the, 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 the pilot is in charge and that education piece has to has to, has to come in there both from the whatever the um, the program is as well as well as the pilot, but the one story of that pilot KJ who I don't know who KJ is but he comes up over and over again in in the uh, in the report. But obviously he was at the Ohio base, and there's that story of of the flight nurse who they got into some some weather, and I don't know if it was you know double IMC or if it was just. Um, the weather conditions were closing in or something, but she, she wasn't comfortable with it. And she put her foot down. So we're going back to base and got back to base. And based on the report, I wasn't there. I'm just going by what the report says. The report says that, that KJ tells the nurse, well, listen, here's how I'm going to educate you. When the, when we have um, the next cloudy day we have where it's not thunderstorms or anything, I'm going to fly you up into the clouds so that you can see what it feels like. And when you read the report, the nurse or the transcript, I should say, the the nurse, she thought that was a good thing because she was so new and she, you know, wasn't experienced. And she was very clear that, OK, that we're making progress. This is great. Hey, he's going to take us up into the clouds and be like, this is what this feels like. And and she had no clue that this is totally against the law. This is unsafe. You purposely flying. Uh, a, a VFR aircraft into, um, you know, IMC or, uh, or or something like, and doing it on purpose without, you, you know, when your aircraft is not an IFR aircraft and you don't have the, the ability to um, do that the, the, the proper way. And if I understand correctly, it was Jennifer, the pilot who died in the crash, who had to put a stop to that. And that type of education is... I would say is probably not the best way yeah. to, 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 to educate. 
you know. Um, I will say that, you, you know, there's been, you know, some people might wonder, like, why does this channel exist? Um, like, my first video tries to explain it, uh, but you can see it probably the technology doesn't look too good. And I'm, I think I was really, really nervous making that video. But, you know, in, in, in short, my, my history is, you know, I, my, I come from a fire background. I was a firefighter paramedic on an engine uh, in Florida and, and worked on an ambulance there and started teaching there. And then I just couldn't wait to come to the beautiful state of Oklahoma for the great, red lakes and, and, um, Jesus and guns and everything. Got all of them. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't wait to come here, uh, but but I'm happy to be here. Oklahoma has been good to, good to me, but um, but you know when I when I came here and and decided to raise my kids in Oklahoma, uh, you know I started working as a flight paramedic and I worked for a couple different companies and I really really enjoyed my time and the people were, um, they they were really really good, and I learned a lot working at those two different agencies and um but i continued to work on an ambulance and i started teaching and i was teaching at the university uh, teaching paramedic school and um you know getting more college education and got my bachelor's degree and getting a master's degree and through all this time all these accidents start to happen well i shouldn't say maybe they start to happen but i start to notice them because now i'm a flight paramedic and i'm in this world and not only do they start happening, they start happening to people I know and bases that are here in the city and bases with uh, uh, paramedics and nurses and pilots that I, that, I, that I work with or my own company, just a different base or something like that. Um, and you start to kind of, okay, well, crashes happen. What, why are these happening? You start to see a theme of not so much that, uh, well, what was the cause and how do we prevent it? But that there's not like a sharing of information, you know, it, there, there, there's not like a reporting system that goes from one, one place to the other so that other people can learn from the accident. Well, why did this accident happen? I want you to tell me about it so that I don't do the same yeah. if thing. It, if it wasn't involving flying, if it was involving Whatever, if I can learn from it and not make that mistake, I, right. I would consider that to be the best case scenario. Yeah. And like the, the actual, you know, manufacturers do this. So I like, wish that somebody would have told me not to put Dawn dishwashing soap in the dishwasher. Right. Before I There should have been a memo. Yeah. There should have been a memo. I wouldn't have been. had bubbles coming out of my sink. <laughs> yeah. Ex exactly. Exactly. And so like, y y you know, Boeing... The, one of the biggest aircraft manufacturers in the world, if they have a problem with one of their aircraft, they send a memo to everybody who owns that aircraft and the mechanics or whoever uh, and to the FAA and, and to other regulatory bodies so that everybody knows, hey, this little switch, we have this problem with it. Here's a service bulletin. Be aware of this issue so that every mechanic or pilot is is kind of aware of it. But we don't do that on the human factor operational yeah. side. Hey, this aircraft crashed because uh, n nobody checked this this yeah. area for ice. Yeah. And that's why it crashed. Hey, please keep in mind to to check this. And I give you I give you a perfect example. Uh, there was the one episode of Metaflight here in Oklahoma that crashed in in Seminole. Yeah. And we both knew people on that aircraft. Right, right. And and that's, yeah, exactly. And so that aircraft crashes and it's just miraculous that everybody survives. The pilot does this phenomenal job of, of getting that aircraft on the ground. And there's some serious injuries, life debilitating injuries that took mm. place on that accident. But the crash happens and you come to find out that it happened because the aircraft was outside in below freezing temperatures with precipitation likely. Well, the, the, the aircraft manufacturer, which at the time was Eurocopter and is now Airbus, says, don't do that. Don't leave the aircraft out. But if you do, if you find yourself in that situation, be on your next pre-flight, you need to lift up the cowling and physically look underneath that air filter and 
see if there's any ice. And if there's ice there, remove it. And then, you know, carry on with whatever the rest of your pre-flight is and off you go. Well, they didn't do that. So the helicopter crashes, kills the engine, ice goes into the engine, aircraft crashes. Six weeks later, two months later, the same thing happens 25 miles on the other side of town. Uh, and this time is not so, people aren't so lucky and two people die, right? Um, different company, but it was an A-Star 350, which is the same basic type of airframe. So the 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 uh, um, the bulletin is still for that same group, H-125, A-Star 350, EC-130. Uh, those, those the three, basically the same type of airframe. Um, and so, you know, I did that story and, you know, it was a little tough story because it, it, it hit close to home. Yeah. And, um, but then about a month later, I have a, 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 a message sitting here on my computer from a mechanic in, a, in another state who works for that same company. Today, in 2022, well, it's 2023 today, but he, this was a couple months but this ago. this is 10 years after All the right, that Right, cr- that crash took place, I, I, can't, I can't remember 2012, now, 2013. Uh, yeah, about 10 years ago. And so this is just a couple months ago. This mechanic calls me. He says, hey, man, um, you know, I watched that video, and I never knew of this issue. And he's a mechanic for the same company in a cold environment. And he works on EC-130 helicopters. He, that's what his, that's what he is. And so he was not aware of um, leaving the aircraft outside yeah. and below freezing temperatures where precip is likely. Now, I'm not saying the company didn't say something to him. Maybe they did. I don't work there. Maybe they did put out a bulletin. But it doesn't matter because he says he didn't know. Well, what I think is cool about this whole thing, right? So I got, there's two things. One, h- how do you improve the reporting Right. Maybe he didn't work there at the time or, or what. So there is that aspect. But the second one is, did you possibly just save three, four five people's lives? Right. Mm. That the, the pilot, I mean, or the mechanic, I mean, by watching that video and saying, right, dang, I'm going to start doing that now. But isn't that what so we do? In you'll all, never it, know if that isn't that, that what we do in all of EMS. Sure. You, you work down at the ambulance service and, and you, you you run your calls all day and somebody else comes in and they run a call and they say, Oh my God, dude, I just, I totally screwed this call up. This lady was complaining of, of, of back pain or blood pressures were all over the place. And, um, you know, I'm giving her nitro. She's cause she said she had chest pain too. She said she had chest pain. She said she had back pain and, and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and, and then, you know, so I took her to this hospital and it turns out cause I, cause I thought she was, um, you know, just having a cardiac related event. Or, you know, like a STEMI or something like that. So, you know, some type of acute coronary syndrome. That's why I treated her with, with nitro and, and aspirin or whatever. Um, but dude, she was having an aortic dissection and turns out I took her to the wrong hospital and they can't, they had to transfer her over to the other hospital by the time they got there, she died. Right. And you're sitting here listening to this and you go, well, I bet, I better not do that. <laughs> I better, I, the, he, this person just made, a mistake. It's a memorable learning it. And, and I, I'm going to learn from it. But I guess it, where, where I was getting at was kind of like my, my story and where why I do the videos and where, where I come from is I'm not okay with that anymore. I'm not okay with people dying and using that as the lesson. Because where the stakes are the highest, which where are the stakes the highest? Space flight and probably commercial air travel, right? And so what do those people do when when astronaut, and I'm not saying we got to act like astronauts, but astronauts, when they go up in outer space, they simulate for years, three years, maybe for one mission, just so that they're prepared for everything. When uh, pilots are getting checked off on the new 777 Boeing aircraft, they have to go and do simulator time and they get put through the ringer over and over and over again. That doesn't happen, at least collectively, in EMS or in helicopter EMS the way that it should. Some companies do have simulators, and that's great. And there's some ground EMS agencies and helicopter places that do simulate like medical simulations, mm-hmm. but it's not enough. 
it's not like these other industries and, 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 and we don't do it in the hospitals either. You know, patients die in the hospital all the time in the ER. You sat there. We've all sat there and watched some physician in the ER literally kill a patient. And because of a poor decision making or maybe they didn't know what they were doing uh, or something like that, they just they made a bad decision. Um, and the typical response is, well, we've got to learn from our mistakes. Well, we already know that that's a mistake. It's not an unknown, mm-hmm. right? It, it's 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 like um, you, you know the air the Arivat crash where the blades fell apart. That's kind of like an unknown, right? I mean, how would anybody have known that those blades were going to have that crack in it, and that this is what's going to happen, right? And so what did Bell do? Bell invested hundred, probably hundreds of millions of dollars to educate everybody in the world on that blade and the problem. And we're going to x-ray the blades that need to be x-rayed. And we're going to get rid of the ones that need to be got rid of. And we're going to tell everybody what has to happen. That's great. That's a really, really good thing. Why don't we do that when a paramedic in Tennessee kills a patient for making the wrong decision. Why don't we do that when a helicopter crashes in, in up in the mountains or something like that because uh, it, it, for, for, for some reason? Why, why don't we do that when, when there's um, you know ice that went into the engine on, on this certain call? Why don't we do, why don't we do that for everything? And, and it's, a, it's a gap. you know it's, it's a gap that's there. And that's why I ended up going to school to get my own doctorate, my PhD school, to study those things, which I studied human factors and situational awareness and crew resource management and trying to figure out, well, what is it that we can do or how, how, do, we measure, how do we measure these things in the first place and what can we do to improve them? And I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, the, it's an express, the videos are just that, the, an expression of, of the crap I've been through in my life. You might, I know you're big into music and you know, maybe you, something happens to you and you write a song about it. Well, the stuff that happened in my life, I make these stupid YouTube videos. Well, they're pretty entertaining, man. I, I really <laughs> enjoy watching them. I, I cast them up to my TV at home and watch them you with know, the family. That's, you know? that's bizarre. That's bizarre <laughs> to, 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 um, my kids know what crew resource management is and, <laughs> that, and all kinds Lennon, of stuff. Do you know what crew resource management is? I think he's. I think he's sleeping back there. Uh, but anyway, the uh, that's Lennon's our engineer uh, back there, by the way. Um, but anyway, the the um, what, what, do you also work on an ambulance? Yeah. So I still, um, you know, I, I still have a couple different full time or not not full time, but primary paramedic jobs. I still work on an ambulance. Yeah. Um, and do a variety of either nine one one response, special events, and then I'm a, a paramedic for a federal disaster team. Too. Yeah, we're on that federal team together. That's and, right. And we've we, we've done some cool stuff over the years. Um, and 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 you know that, that, that those uh, we'll, we'll say we'll save those stories uh, probably pro- pro- probably for another episode or something like that. Um, but anyway, just just back to the survival flight stuff so we can kind of cl- close close that loop. Um, you know, the where where is it where is it going? You know, a lot of people have been bugging me and saying, well, now what? You know, this th- this happened in it's January of 2019. Is yeah. My mask, carry the one. How, how many years? Uh, four years ago? Yeah. Coming up here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I, again, I don't work at the company, but it, it looks like they're expanding. And, and um, you know, they've got. They've got cool helicopters. Uh, I heard and they, they got a ground ambulance service they, too. They, yeah, they've got they've got ground services that um, you know I don't really know anything about, but they they seem to be at least here in Oklahoma in the rural parts, which is a really really good thing because um, rural, at least Oklahoma, you know, is really really lacking in paramedic coverage, and so if they're out there providing care, um, you know, kudos kudos to them. Um, but in terms of uh, you know, their safety culture and stuff has changed and related to their ground stuff. Like I just have no clue. I haven't talked to anybody about how, how that operates or if there's any issues or uh, anything like that. Um, But they're, they're certainly expanding, you know, and part of the reason why I made this video was um, 
was a Facebook post that I saw. There was some youngin who said uh, he made a post somewhere and said, hey, I saw that this company Survival Flights now in Tennessee or maybe it was the Florida base. I'm not, I'm not sure where it was. And like, well, what can you guys tell me about it? And then, you know, the Facebook warriors kind of took off and were saying all kinds of stuff. And, and you know, that was kind of my motivation of, well, well you have new people who want to go work as a flight paramedic. And this is, doesn't every paramedic dream of being a flight paramedic? I mean, yeah, it, sure. I mean, I got to think that a lot of them, a lot of them do. And, you know, in the interviews that I did, my own interviews with survival flight employees, I asked this question specifically because it, kind of the stuff started to go that way. Um, I asked, do you feel that survival flight goes out of their way, or at least back then, to hire inexperienced med crew? And they all said yes. Almost all of them said yes. I'd say probably uh, 80, 90% of them said said yes. Now, that's... So and wait, so wait. Have, so you've had a like a pretty big response from current employees after you release the video before and after before and so after. before before the video was done um you know I, I i interviewed my own and i interviewed a total of 14 people and uh five of those i believe were current employees and the other ones were uh past employees but since then i've also got dozens people and dozens out. and dozens yeah. of messages from current and 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 past employees um and, and like I said, I, I heard a lot of people of, of trying to, uh, of saying of the hiring of the inexperienced folks. And, um, you, you know, they, I don't know if maybe they think that that means, well, I'm just giving these young people opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. But it almost appears like well, we're going to hire the people who aren't going to stand up. And that's really the theme that I heard the most, dude, was, was that, when, remember when I said that, well, at this base, this doesn't happen. You know, we, we don't have that problem. Well, why don't, why, and I said, well, why don't you have that problem there? Well, because when Jack or Gary or this person comes in here and starts barking up a storm, I tell them, look, dude, it's not safe. I'm not taking the flight. That's probably an old hat that is able to say that. Though. Right. Not, not a, a new, right. new hire. And, and you know, the, 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 and then the executives or whoever, the managers or whatever kind of back down and say, well, okay, okay. Maybe they respect the fact that they were standing up to them. Um, but how can you expect a brand new person to do that? Yeah, you don't know what you don't know, right? That kind of goes. The girl thinks it's okay to fly up in the clouds as a learning lesson. Yeah. Right? And so I picked up on that over and over again of the hiring of the inexperienced crew and the 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 accident crew, if I'm not mistaken, the flight nurse and the flight paramedic had only been there, you know, around six months. The pilot, Jennifer, had only worked there six or seven months. So you got three people working together, and none of them are super experienced, right? And so while, yeah, it was her final decision to end up taking the flight, she's super inexperienced. The flight nurse and the paramedic, they're super inexperienced. They're like, well, she says it's good to go. You know, we're, well, let's, then let's go. How would they even know that this is an unsafe in, in environment how do they know that if they just stood up for themselves right that that things would be a little bit safer and calmer because that's what i heard at these other bases well yeah. why is it good at your base well i stood up for myself well do you think that your safety of you and your crew should be contingent upon um somebody having that much more confidence than a new person to be able to stand up for themselves I mean, it seems like it should be something that comes from from leadership. So anyway, so when I see this young person make this post, say, wow, I'm thinking about applying at survival flight. What do you guys think? Well, I think that I think that you, you should be as informed as possible and you should know um, how companies work or how helicopter EMS operates and and, you know, how this company looks at new people or at least looked at them back then again i'm just everything that 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 um is in my video is based on my interviews and and ntsb reports and and you're just kind of putting it into a you know a way that the lay person can um yeah because really i know understand I, like it, i know? read the ntsb report i've read lots of ntsb reports and it's kind of it's like reading advanced arithmetic for somebody who 
right. doesn't understand. So, I mean, it is neat to um, to watch kind of like a- 2,200 pages. Yeah, to, to watch a, a broke down condensed version that's easier to digest. Right. I, I do like that. Right. And so like when you go and fly, you were inexperienced when you started, and but they put you with uh, this nurse, you, you know, with the company- that's doing your, uh, uh, the 145 that you're flying on now, you know, you have a nurse or a paramedic that's there with you and they're, you know, walk you through everything and, and, and they're yeah. very experienced and they're teaching you, but a new person at some other company, if they're not put with somebody else who's very experienced, how are they going to know, how are they going to know any of these things, you know? Um, and so it, there, there were some other people that asked about the lawsuits and I can't, uh, I have not looked anything up about that i can just tell you what i've been told i've been told that um you know that there was some very aggressive legal tactics that took place in the days after this crash to to um jennifer and rachel and bradley's family and that uh pressure to to sign a document saying that you know if you just sign this document you know we're going to give you eighty three thousand dollars and we're going to take care of you but not knowing that that document is well in like the just the days after the that's accident. that's what I've been told that's what I've been told yeah. and that um, that this happened to both Jennifer the pilot her family as well as I think Bradley's family who was the flight paramedic um, you know kind of got pressured into this type of thing and I think Rachel's the the nurse the one who the one who wrote the email uh, you know just five six weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, that her case might still be going on is possibly going to trial later this later this year. Did you hear about that? I mean, no, I, I didn't. I, I I knew about the letters that she'd wrote. You know, I read that in the right. NTSB report where she I was mean, kind of asking for help. She, she she she's asking for help, and where did and where did it? Yeah, it's where terrible. did it get her? So it's just it's a terrible story, and 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 I hope that um, I don't know, man. I, I just hope that there's a change. Um, it, it there's so many good people. I mean, that's the thing. It's probably the, one of the biggest common themes. It doesn't matter what the culture is at any of these plate, any of these bases. The biggest common theme is that these people are all really good people. The the nurses and the medics and the mechanics and the pilots. You get a couple maniacs here and there, like you might at any company, right? Um, but they're all just trying to do good. But the theme is, is that the people who's above all them right. is putting them in such a such an environment um, uh, of cost savings and pushing the limits and stuff like that, uh, that, it, that it puts them in, in these situations where, where an accident like this could have happened in the first place. And that's what the NTSB concluded. You know, it was their conclusion that said... Um, you know that the 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 primary the probable cause of this accident was was a, was a poor safety culture. Yeah, you know which then allowed the pilot to make all those mistakes, which she did make those mistakes. Is that a um, is that a common uh, one of the things I'd seen in your video and read is like that one pilot accepts a flight and like fires the aircraft up, and then the other pilot can just takes their word for it and continues on, or is it kind of you know? What's, no, what's, what's, not, normal it, it, what's I, not normal? That's that's not common. And if I'm not mistaken, I I I do think that that's another step that maybe Stravoy has taken to improve. I don't think that that's allowed anymore. I talked to uh, so they called that hot seating. I think you know you're coming off shift and you know you catch a flight and the other pilot's just a couple minutes away. Um, can I call them and say hey? Yeah. Like, are you, how far away are you? you? Can you, can you take this flight so that I don't have to take it? You know, that kind of thing. And I think that that was more common when this crash took place. And it seemed like even from the reporter, nobody seemed to care that this was, that this, that this happened. Right. Um, but, but it, but it happened and I've never experienced something like that. I've certainly never been in a situation where a pilot shows up and just jumps and jumps in the aircraft and, and kind of takes off within five seconds. Um, but I did talk to a, to a current pilot who said that, um, not only does that not allowed anymore, but you know, you get in big trouble if you tried to do something like that. If you yeah. called an oncoming pilot and tried to like sell the, sell the flight over to them, 
you know. Right. I mean, I, I, get, I, I get it. I've, I've had late calls all throughout my career. And one of the things that always drove me nuts on the ground ambulance is, mm. you know, you typically show up 15, 20 minutes before your shift starts, <laughs> but, but ambulance crews that would hang out or call an oncoming Dude, crew I did member. That once. I did that once and it backfired horrendously. It was in Florida and it was, it was at the EMS agency that I worked at on, in Southern Florida. And, um, dude, I did that. It was, a, I had somewhere to go that morning. I had an appointment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my oncoming relief was going to, she had to have been right around the corner, man. And I, I called her but, in route, but then <laughs> something, something happened with, I, I don't remember what the situation, I can't remember what the situation actually was after that, but my lieutenant caught, w- knew that I was delayed. Mm-hmm. And when he asked me why, I said, well, I, you know, I, I called Sarah. So Sarah, are you close? And uh, I never did that again. It was yeah. really, it was really, really bad, bad decision. Did you see that dude? Um, did you see that guy drop dead in the field? I did. Has this uh, uh, absolutely overwhelmed the EMS social media of the United of the world? Yeah, and so you know, a couple things. A personally, and probably an unpopular opinion, I'm not proud of the way that the EMS community has responded to this. I do not like the really? thing that everybody's sharing about the pay disparity and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. But from like the nerd in me, the medical side of it, you know, I, I thought originally, because I was watching it live when it happened, I thought, yeah. oh God, was this like a, you know, a, a cervical? It looked like, he, looked like he was faking it. Well, he was like, I, well, like he didn't you know, catch like a, himself. Like a soccer player who's taking a dive. I Watching it over and over again, you can see that like as he's standing up, he's kind of wobbly. I, I, I caught that, but he kind of adjusts his face mask and I thought, well, was that like some kind of cervical injury? Yeah, I heard but some people then say that. It didn't. I was like, well, the mechanism just wasn't quite there. And then I thought, was was this like a, you know, an aortic tear or or, or something like that? Mm. Um, but then, I mean, it really all the all the picture, the entire picture was painted towards yeah that commotio cordis. I and, I, and I, he got hit right in the chest. Um, he dropped down. I was super proud of the – I thought that the EMS professionals and the trainers and everybody that worked him out there on the field did a fantastic job. Who who was that crew? Well, the, apparently there's a link to Oklahoma. I guess one of the athletic directors – For the Bills. For the Bills is from like Midwest City or something. And he was right. one of the guys providing CPR. But, you know, back to, uh, you know, resuscitate over intubate, you know, people – they bypass good, high-quality CPR and early defibrillation to do some of the cool skills like innovate. I thought right. they did a fantastic job with good, high-quality CPR, early defibrillation. And it sounds like this guy's neurologically intact and um, going to make a, a full recovery. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays football again. Oh, my. It is just it, – it, it's it, it was just a crazy story, you know, something that happens. Not, viewers will – Correct me if I'm wrong, because they because they because that's what they do. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, something that only happens something like five, ten times a year, uh, like that. Yeah. And um, hey, turn your phone off. I know it was my phone. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but anyway, the the uh, knowing that that um, the the stress of of, of being there. And just the, the the whole situation, and and I guess the 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 the, the crew though, um, wasn't it you was was it University of Cincinnati? I I don't know. Um, but I, but I heard that that there was you know lot, lots of great med crew there, and it was pretty cool that they were able to get the ambulance like inside because yeah. not mo- most stadiums you can't do that. Um, but it, it's. That all the stuff that we teach, and you know, your paramedic students and your new paramedics are so worried about all these things, of uh, of getting IVs and medications and intubating and 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 you know, over and over and over and over again, doing all these things because they're they're so excited to yeah to do these things. I know I was, 
uh, but the science doesn't support it. Doesn't mean that they're not important, but the science doesn't support, you know, putting so much energy into that. And we talk about this all the time. And I'm not, te- I'm not saying anything new here, um, but I'm just pointing out the the reinforcement, kind of like you say, of you. All that guy needed was somebody to keep his blood circulating, mm-hmm. while somebody else got the defib stuff ready, whether it was an AED or a regular monitor or whatever. And like you said, that dude. From what I understand, the dude on the sidelines from who's from Oklahoma for the Bills um, kind of put his foot down and be like, no, he's dead. Because the trainers might mm-hmm. be thinking, and I'm not saying that this is what they thought, but you know, your first inkling when you walk out on the football field and see somebody laid out is not that he's dead. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. got it's gotta be yeah, for that, a man, that dude just got knocked the, uh, you know, the hell athlete. out. You know, he he got knocked out, or maybe he broke his neck, you know, like right. Dennis Bird back in the day for the Jets or Eagles or whoever he played for, but the the um, you, you know, but but this guy's response was no 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 he he checks yeah. the pulse so he's he's dead we got to start compressions dude right. got football pads on uh, and I didn't see how they got that uh, yeah. got those off that'd be but, interesting to, yeah. to review that you know yeah um, he it's so he he start he starts compressions and the crew comes out and somewhere in there they're they're hooking up a monitor you know, mm-hmm. in manual defibrillator probably and compressions and shocking them. And they get, I, from what I understand, they got a pulse back yeah, on, they got, on the field. They got Ross on the field. You know, okay, now let's load them up. Let's get out of here. And, and they leave. And I think maybe, maybe he codes and route again, or maybe at the hospital, but they get him back. But the reason why he's awake and being able to ask these questions is because did, of that kick-ass He did not CPR. have a prolonged hypoxic time. They were right. circulating the blood right um one of the things that i i did hear is that they were proning him in the hospital in the, like the days that follow and that was kind of i don't know confusing. so they were putting him like f- oh face down yeah um which is typically reserved for somebody who has like a significant lung injury right like so, arms or something so like that. i mean yeah. my thoughts is maybe he aspirated um and has mm. like a, a pneumonia but maybe right. that cpr he just had these gnarly like pulmonary contusions or something like that and they were having to prone him sure for, uh to improve some oxygenation and ventilation but i guess he was extubated you know what, 72 hours after the event and right. uh facetimed with the, the rest of his teammates did he yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, i didn't i didn't see that part that's, god it's crazy yeah. that's absolutely crazy so what what's the money thing i don't know what you're talking about you say i don't I don't like the posts about the pay. Oh and, yeah, there was. I mean, I mean, I've a, seen a lot of feedback, but I don't. Yeah, I've there's there's a post circulating, and I think that the guy probably meant it. You know, some goodwill with it. Right. Um, that you know, it's not un it's not unknown that EMS professionals don't make a ton of money. Um, but he you said don't make that, a ton of money. <laughs> uh, he he had mentioned. I mean, I'm getting that, paid at least. At the you don't make a ton of money. Yeah, my car is not repoed right now, but. Um, I got a new Rolla, the, new Corolla. The post was something along the lines of the lowest paid people on the field. Oh, that I did night see that had one. the most important. I did job. see that one, and it was a um, picture. Lowest person paid. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's you know some volley. I don't. I yeah. don't want to get too far into I mean, it. But it uh, yeah, that's uh. I didn't think it was super professional, and if you want to get paid more, we should represent ourselves more like yeah. professionals. And that yeah. wasn't a very professional thing to do, I don't think. No, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. It kind of makes me cringe a little bit to th- to when anytime I hear. Thank you for your service. You yeah. Should, you should get a discount at every restaurant <laughs> you go to. I should get it. I, <laughs> I, I work on an ambulance. I should get a discount on this yeah. cheeseburger. But anyway, no, the, 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 without getting into the weeds on that, I, I do, I do cringe a bit when I see stuff like that. Um, you know, wanting more money is not a is not a bad thing, uh, but when when people are complaining about their pay and and this and that, your your pay is based off supply and demand in the United States. Mm-hmm. This is capitalistic capitalistic society, and um, fact of the matter is, is you get paid twenty dollars an hour because that's what you're worth. You, that your your the demand for your position. Uh, versus the supply of what employers need, uh, put your pay at what it is. And so the only way to solve that is to increase your demand or decrease your supply or both. 
That's it. I, I, I think that it's the only way. you're worse, right? I don't know how to do that. I'm mm. just saying that from my, like, if I was thinking, well, I deserve, I deserve more money mm. than, and, and I was showing up late or I was showing up unfit or I was showing up on calls, not looking yeah. the part, or I wasn't yeah. putting in the extra effort to make sure I was the best medic around, staying sure. up to date with medicine and practices and procedures and stuff, then I don't think you deserve it. I agree. But nobody gets paid on that. Right. That's, not, that's not how we get paid. The, the you, you know, um, Len, Lennon, how much does Shay make on the Thunder a year? <laughs> a lot. How, how, how many millions? 30. He makes $30 million a year, Shea, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is like two blocks down the road. Dude makes $30 million a year. Nobody cares about how he dresses and stuff like that. He makes $30 million a year because there's only so many, the, the supply of people who can play basketball at his level and with his skills that he has the the amount of people in this world who exist that have that basketball skill is so low and the owner of the Oklahoma City Thunder has such a high demand yeah. for somebody like that that he will pay them 30 million dollars a year to go play basketball that's why he makes that amount of money if there were 50,000 uh how many how many there's 100,000 EMTs, something like that. I don't know, 60 to 70, 60 to 100,000 EMTs a year that take the test or something. So th there's hundreds of thousands of EMTs and, uh, and and paramedics in the country. If there were hundreds of thousands of Shays from the Oklahoma City Thunder, then he would be making $20 an hour on on the court. Well, it's it's entertaining, right? Right. So what we need to do as paramedics is make our 911 responses more entertaining. More entertaining. <laughs> what kind of tricks can you do while you innovate? It's do you know do you terrible. know good knock-knock jokes during transport? Yeah. Do you the, the jokes the have the warmest <laughs> blankets the, and the, the jokes, freshest sandwiches? The jo the jokes do help. I'm a big uh, fan of telling jokes, but the the supply and demand is 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 where it's at. There's the, we need when, to make more nine one one calls. When, that's what you're saying. Yeah, we need we need to, we need to be busier. <laughs> but that's part of what COVID did. COVID, yeah, you know, while it was really really bad for people that's who, a good point. who died, COVID was good for EMS for people who are paramedics. Yeah, the because, bonus shifts they because their over their demand yeah. went up. We need more of them, right? I was in a but, salary position, but their supply went went down. And now, in a lot of metro areas, and it's not everywhere, a lot of metro areas, people are making twenty thousand dollars more than they made a couple a couple years ago. Um, maybe they need but, more Facebook posts recognizing them for their service. May, may, maybe, but but I agree. I I, I cringe like there's. Um, I cringe like there's no tomorrow uh, when it comes to seeing people complaining about the pay on Facebook. Um, you know, I mean, I get it. I want to make more money, but I've seen that that post has been shared so many times it, from people that I, I like and respect. And every time it gets shared, I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, it was su super, super awesome what, what those uh, – um, What, those what do you think? Did. Do you think he's going to play football again? Probably. I mean, what, what's, that the, be what's the deficit or the that he might have? Well, I mean, so I, mean, I guess they got he's got a rehab, right? And right, and uh, you know, may, there may be some some neurologic injury, mm -hmm. right? We know it's intact, but I mean, he could have seizures now, or he could, you know, walk not run as fast or something. Mm -hmm. um, he could have a kidney injury from the hypotensive time, right? That's true. Um, he could have some form of heart failure, decreased cardiac function. Does he get on, workers' comp for that? I'll, I'll imagine that the Buffalo Bills have some. I'll form wait till I do comp. the episode on helicopter crashes and the survivors and workers' comp. Mm. You'd be surprised how many um, how many helicopter crashes have taken place in the United States over the last 20, 30 years regardless of what the fault was and people think ah they're gonna take care of you they're gonna they're gonna sue the bejesus out of that company and they're gonna walk away you you, you uh um you know we're in a coma for six months and 
and broke every bone in your body and lost two of your limbs, yeah, we're gonna the, the you're gonna be able to take that company for you know solid you know fifty million dollars, and most of the time it's, it's workers comp. So you're, you're restricted to um, just going through workers' comp law. Now, in some cases where manufacturers get involved, that might be different. You know, can you sue the manufacturer if there's something wrong with the aircraft? You know, if there was a defect in the aircraft or something like that, like the Boeing stuff that's going yeah. on with Boeing the what, 737 what did, Didn't Max Bell work? just put something out about uh, like a, a rear rotor? I don't know. It was just a memo that came out like, hey, check. Was there a, there was a bolt that came out or something? I think it was on four oh sevens. It was like the oh, it was the it was the uh, um, oh my god, yeah, that didn't have any. There wasn't it. It didn't originate from an EMS helicopter. I think that came from Hawaii. There was a, I think it was a Hawaii tour or something like that, and, a, and a, the tail boom fell off, like the whole tail boom <laughs> of a four oh seven, which a four oh seven is such a awesome aircraft, um, very high performance, and the tail boom. Fell off. I think everybody lived. I can't. I can't remember. I, I'm have I to go back right. and look. But the way the investigation showed, and I haven't like gone too far into it. There's basically four giant bolts and flanges that hold the tail boom onto the main fuselage of a Bell 407, and they could tell that like a couple of these the nuts or bolts had backed out, and a couple of them were gone. There's only four of them. So who knows how long. And <laughs> Maybe they'd had a half a dozen flights yeah. with and so one, one bolt missing. Yeah. And so one or two of these were literally missing or, or and one might have been loose. And then it ended up shearing the stud or the bolt off. And the tail boom done just fell off. I'm just flying along. Tail boom fly off. A trip of a vacation of a lifetime in Hawaii. And the Man, the tour. It's apart. tough being in the tour industry. That Did you see that one that just happened in Australia? The Where the two aircraft collided? Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's video of that, and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to post it appropriately. But there's, yeah. there's video of the because it killed one, it killed like four people. Yeah, but w it only in one aircraft. Yeah, there the seven. other aircraft that got hit, if you will, the dude landed that. Yeah, it was the EC-130 that got hit. Yeah, the picture and like are the wild. nose of it's like gone. And somehow that pilot put that put that aircraft on the ground with no no major injuries or anything like that. But everybody or four of the other seven people on the other aircraft uh, died. I think it was at SeaWorld. There's a SeaWorld in Australia on the Gold Coast. Um, but anyway, craziness. But anyway, man, um, yeah, I think you've told your story, and you kind of let me tell me tell mine as well. Um, you, yeah, I like you, this, man. You, you gonna come back? I, yeah, I think that we should like you know, infrequently, regularly schedule something like mm -hmm. this that we can discuss current medical events. Or regularly something. and infrequently. Yeah. Okay, man. We'll make that happen. That's the thing. Thanks for coming in, dude.